Let's uh, take a look at uh, lesson two. Now, look at uh, today's lesson uh, title. You need to uh, say it carefully, right? Hell, yes, it matters, okay? And so if you say, I'm going to enjoy this. Uh, And so that's what we want to talk about. Notice at the top of your notes, it says, In our shrinking pluralistic world, the belief that Jesus is the only way of salvation is increasingly called arrogant and even hateful. In the face of this criticism, many shrink back from affirming the global necessity of knowing and believing in Jesus. Now, that's a quote by John Piper from the book I referenced last week. And I said it was a small book. My wife uh, was making fun of me when I came home. She said, you said it was a small book, and you held your hand up like that. And I'm like, well, it is a small book, see? you can. It's, it's that. You know, she's thinking... I'm talking that. So, very small book, nice, handy little book. And uh, what it's helped me do is, is really organize a vast amount of information that is out there on this topic. Now, John MacArthur also has a book. Ralph gave me this this morning, which I appreciate. Why One Way, Defending an Exclusive Claim in an Inclusive World. So, see, even John there uses these words that we're talking about. So, if you, these are two uh, resources that if you're interested in, you can take a look, and and, uh, and they're also just small enough and handy enough that you're not going to intimidate a, a, a lost person or a, a Christian that is confused, because that's what this is about. Notice uh, the second quote on your notes, the increasing erosion and confusion over the reality of hell and the narrow road to salvation is leading to a lack of conviction and compassion in sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. I do not think it's accident that that there is a decre- decline in churches, a decrease in evangelism, and a passion for evangelism that just happens to be taking place at the same time that there's a growing d- disbelief in hell. I think there's a connection there, and what we want to do is replace the confusion with conviction and compassion for sharing the one way to salvation. So notice it says last week, what is this series all about? Well, it's three questions in one. The one question is this, is Jesus the only way to salvation? But that one question has within it three different questions. Number one, will anyone experience eternal conscious torment under God's wrath in hell? Question number two, is the work of Jesus necessary for salvation, not just for Christians, but for people in all nations and all of the world religions? Is it true for everybody? Is it necessary? And number three, is a conscious faith in Jesus necessary for salvation? Or is it sufficient that Jesus died for the sins of the world, whether they know it or not, somehow he will save them on the basis of his death on the cross. So you would ask someone that would, uh, you could ask someone, is Jesus the only way to salvation? They could say yes. But if you ask them, does each person need to hear the gospel and then believe it? They would say, well, no. Uh, that that is his death is sufficient, and God will somehow apply it to all people or to some people. So 
There's all sorts of answers to this question, and we went through some of these last week. So I want to give you a little time, connect with the people around you. Of course, I, I, I anticipated, I did not anticipate Noah's flood occurring in our class, so at round tables this would much, be much easier, but that's all right. You can do it where you're sitting. So get with someone there, look, look for someone that would look like they could help you, and, uh, and if you need to move to do that, that's okay too. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, take that and match the ism to its false answer. So match the ism to its its wrong answer. Yeah, if you have your notes from last week, that can help you. Okay. Okay, let's let's look at it. Help us out. Annihilationism. Annihilationism. The word uh, in there is annihilate, extinction, annihilate, to be destroyed, disappear, exist no more. Which one does that go with? It will all be over soon, yes. That, that you know, don't worry too much about hell because it will all be over soon and you just won't exist. Or the conditional immortality view, meaning that immortality is not an automatic gift to everyone. Not everyone's going to live forever. The only ones that get that gift are those who accept Christ. Everyone else? Annihilation, extinction. Good job. Universalism. Good news for all in the end. Yeah, good news for all in the end. Uh, or it's the doom to be saved. That is, they will go to he- they, uh, unbelievers. Are, unbelievers are in hell now. They're doomed. They're suffering, but it won't be eternal suffering because in the end, all will be saved, including the devil and his demons. Excellent. Pluralism. The word in there is plur- uh, first of all universalism. Universal. Everybody gets saved. Pluralism, plural, more than one. Which one does that attach to? Yeah, the Burger King view. Have it your way. All roads lead to God. There are many paths. Jesus is not the way. He is one way, especially for those that are Christians. But there are other ways, okay? Pluralism. Inclusivism. Now, these are where these words, even I, uh, having read and studied about them, it's, it's one of those words, you know what it means, but when it comes time to explain it, sometimes it gets weird. But inclusive, uh, meaning including everyone, including everyone is just the way I think about it. I, I try to keep it simple. Where does that, where does that go? Yeah, the, we sound like we're, are we a little unsure on this one? Okay. The sincerity is sufficient for the Savior view. The sincerity is sufficient for the Savior view, meaning everybody's going to be included in salvation because as long as they're sincere about their beliefs, Christ has died for them and He will save them. Jesus isn't so worried about you knowing about Him and trusting Him as He is about your sincerity to the, your response to the light you have. You know, if all you've got is creation and you choose uh, to, to worship that, but you do it with sincerity and you're responding and, and thinking that somehow there's a creator, okay, that's, that's sufficient for Jesus. I died for you. Come on in. Okay? And then the uh, post-mortem salvation view. 
Second chance view. Now, this the, I, I feel for people that hold this view, and I, I don't say that in a condescending way. I, I feel for them because here's what these pe- people that hold this view, first of all, they believe in the Scriptures, and they want to hold true that Jesus is the only way, that everyone needs to hear the gospel, and everyone needs a chance to respond to the gospel. And so they hold firm to that. And, and they're not going to, you know, there aren't many paths. There's one path. And they have... Uh, they have great compassion for people who have never heard. And so they're, they're solu- they find a solution for that. And their solution is this, that there will, there's millions of people who have died without never hearing Christ. So what Christ will do and God will do is in the end, before the final judgment, after they die, but before the final judgment, he will give everybody an opportunity to hear the gospel of Christ, probably personally from Christ. And then they will have a chance, a second chance, or maybe in, in a sense, in their view, the first chance to ever really hear and receive Christ, and then they will choose or not choose. And uh, then judgment will take place. Finally, the, uh, the last view is exclusivism. And in that word is exclude. It excludes people. It excludes those who do not hear and respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. It excludes those from salvation who do not accept Jesus Christ as salvation. And therefore, it is the Jesus is the only way view, one way out view. One way out. And so this is why, MacArthur, why one way? Uh, and, and he says in the back of the book, why one way? His answer is because it's the only way to God. That's the exclusive view. So there you are. You're gaining some, some good insights on this. And I'm, I think you're starting to, it's starting to click. So why are we going with this series? We said it was to create tension. Create tension between what the world might believe and the Bible teaches. Tension between maybe what you would like to believe but you know is true. Tension between maybe what you believe and what you're going to hear that the Bible teaches. It's to surface confusion. Maybe we're confused but we don't know it because we haven't really thought through these issues. We participate in world missions. We believe in evangelism. We may not practice it that much, but we may not understand that really our lack of passion is a direct result of deep-seated confusion and that if we would bring clarity, there would be conviction, and in that conviction would come compassion to share Christ with as many people as we can. And so we also want to detect erosion. That is, maybe we used to be firm on this, but we've lived so long in a postmodern world, and we've listened so long to the idea that no one can really know the truth. And if one says he does, <coughs> excuse me, then he is arrogant. And I don't want to be arrogant, and I don't want to be closed-minded, narrow-minded. I don't want to be a bigot. And maybe we're eroding in our convictions of biblical truth, and we're not even aware of it until we come face-to-face with the truth. So that's all the reasons. We want to, number one, clear away the confusion and replace it with conviction and compassion in Christ. And then number two, we want to stop the erosion with a Christ-like motivation to be on mission. So that brings us to the question we want to answer today, and it's this. Why is this series so important? Why is this series so important? I want to give you eight reasons why you ought to come for the rest of this series. And uh, whether you come or not, eight reasons why you as a Bible-believing Christian need to understand 
and be able to answer these questions. So let's tackle it. Number one, the number one reason is believing and obeying the Bible hangs in the balance. Believing and obeying the Bible hangs in the balance. Our answer to these questions, is Jesus the only way? Is hell real, eternal, conscious, suffering? Is, G- is the work of Jesus Christ necessary for the salvation of anyone on this planet? All of these questions are answers. What hangs in the balance is belief and obedience to the Bible. Now, let me say it this way. We may be confused about these questions, and that's all right. But God is not confused. And could we say, thank God for that? Okay, I can be confused... And it has implications, but it doesn't have universal... You know, me being confused and God being confused is is a world of difference, okay? We may be confused, but thank God He is not. He speaks with clarity, conviction, and compassion in His Word about the eternal destiny of people in heaven and hell. Let me give you two examples. Turn your Bibles to Matthew 25, 41. Matthew 25, 41. I'm just going to read a couple verses. These are verses we're going to come to again and again. Uh, My goal today is not to explain these verses as much as just show you Okay, there's some clear teaching in the Bible. And uh, while people may be confused about it, it doesn't sound as though God is confused. In fact, in Matthew 25, 41, it's Jesus who is speaking. And notice what he says in Matthew 25, verse 41. He says these words. Then he, and by the way, he's talking about himself. He's talking about the Son of Man in context. And, he's, and he calls himself the Son of Man in the Gospels. Then he, that is Jesus, will also say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Does it sound like Jesus is confused on this topic? Did Jesus speak in a parable here? Is he, is he stuttering? Uh, is he confused? Is there a cloud of confusion over what he's saying? No. God has clearly spoken in his word. Drop down to verse 46. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Now, in the New King James, everlasting and eternal are are slightly different. In the Greek, it's the same word. So you could just as well say, and these will go into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into everlasting life. Or you could say, these will go into eternal punishment and the righteous into eternal life. I'm going to kind of jump ahead in my reasoning because we're right here looking at... Look at that, verse 46. If you tamper with eternal punishment, what else are you tampering with? Eternal life. And so we've got to understand that if we think... Do you think, do you believe that God has spoken clearly on heaven? Well, do you think when he moves over to hell, he gets confused? You know, is hell a re- is heaven a real place? Well, is hell a real place? You know, is heaven going to be eternal? Well, is hell going to be eternal? Is heaven fulfill, uh, filled with real enjoyments and pleasures and passions? Well, is hell filled with real torments, anguish, and suffering? <coughs> 
And so this verse 46 is one of the best verses to understand that when we, when, if we're confused about one, then that probably means we're confused about the other. And when we're clear on one, we can be equally clear on the other. Now, turn to 2 Thessalonians 1.9. This is another key verse, 2 Thessalonians 1.9. Here we have the Apostle Paul. This is very interesting. Uh, verses 6 through 9. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. Thessal, uh, Thess- the church at Thessalonica was one of the earliest churches. It's one of the youngest churches that Paul spoke to. And I find it interesting that to a young and, and, and young church with young Christians in it, he's very clear on what hell is. Notice what it says. Verse 6, since it is a righteous thing. You want to circle that. What he's about to talk about is something that's right and proper and true to God and his carrier. It's a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you and to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. But why is he coming? Not just to give his people rest, in flaming fire, taking vengeance. I mean, that's a powerful word, taking vengeance. He's not trying to reform people. He's bringing punishment, judgment. He's bringing down the gavel, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice what he's saying there. It's both those who don't know God and it's those that don't obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. You say, what power? The power to save. The power to forgive. Now, listen to that. He starts that all out and says, what I'm about to tell you is a very righteous thing. One of, the, one of the big arguments against uh, hell made by Christians is how could a loving God send people to hell? And right here the Apostle Paul says it's not just about love. It's about righteousness. It's about vengeance. It's about reaping what you sow. It's about getting what one deserves. And so it's a righteous thing. Here's my point about these two passages. God doesn't stutter when He speaks. In 2 Timothy 3, turn to 2 Timothy 3, 15 through 17. Here's what's at stake. Here's what's at stake. 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17. What's at stake is what we call the inerrancy or the inspiration or the authority and sufficiency of the Bible. Either this book is our owner's manual for life without error or it is not. If it is... Then, we don't, then it sets boundaries for our belief and our practice. If it's not, then we're free to have our own opinions. Notice 2 Timothy 3, 15 through... Uh, let's begin with 14, 14 through 17. Notice what Paul is saying to his young disciple Timothy. But you must continue. Please circle that. You must continue. You must continue in the things you have learned and been assured of. Notice what he's saying. You don't just want to learn these things. You want to have conviction about these things. What? See, here's what I fear. Many of us have filled in blanks for years, but we have not been assured. Many of us have heard many sermons, but we have not been assured. 
You see, it's one thing for Pastor Chris or Pastor Bruce or Pastor Tyrone or whoever, Pastor MacArthur, uh, it doesn't matter, to be assured and you to listen to them in assurance. It's another thing for you to be assured that, yeah, this is what I believe and to take ownership of that. Notice he wants him to be assured of knowing from whom you have learned them. And notice this, and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in any type of God you may choose. Is that what it says? No, faith in who? Which is in a specific person and a specific work Christ Jesus. Listen, it is this book that makes us wise to salvation. It is not creation. It is not a rock. It is not some human teacher, whether that's Buddha, Muhammad, uh, Jim Jones, it doesn't matter, uh, David Koresh. It, these are not, or, or uh, Billy Graham or uh, whoever. This is not what makes us wise. It's the scriptures. It's the Scriptures that make us wise. Notice, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine about hell, for reproof about the one way to salvation, for correction, for instruction. What that's telling us is doctrine, this is what to believe, this is the path to go on, reproof. When you get off that path, the Bible will help you get back on it. That's correction. And then instruction in righteousness is how to stay on the right path. Why? that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, I think that last verse is as important as any of the others. What it tells me is this. I can be thoroughly equipped, and I cannot, I can, if I will get in this book, I, can, I will not lack anything to do what God has called me to do. I will not lack what to believe, what not to believe, what to share, how to share, how to help people know God. I'll be thoroughly equipped. Now, let me just say this. You will find answers in the Bible. People have questions, but the answers are in the Bible. John eight thirty two says this. You shall know the truth, say it with me, and the truth shall make you free. So where do we find the truth? Here. And what does it do? Make us free. John seventeen seventeen. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. So if you want to get the answers, they're here. Now, let me say a couple practical things about that. First of all, this does not mean that God does not welcome questions, okay? That, this does not mean, because we believe the Bible has the answers, that we do not welcome questions here at our church. Seekers and skeptics are welcomed. Questions are welcomed. You know why? Because God's big enough to handle anyone's questions. I hope he is. If he's not, we're in trouble. And because God's big enough to handle those questions, we ought to be big enough to handle people's questions because we don't have to have all the answers. Who has the answers? God does. And where are those answers found? The Bible. So guess what? If you ask me a question that I don't know, I can say I don't know, but I know the one who does so let's get in his word together and we'll both learn the answer to that really good question you just asked but what do we do we do one of two things we try to have all the answers and eventually that's going to crumble right because none of us have all the answers and none of us know all the answers that are in the bible but we can find them number two we'll we'll isolate from people because we're like i don't have the answers 
And because I think I'm supposed to have the answers, I don't want to get in a, a situation where someone asks me something I don't know. Can you relate to that? Okay, that's the wrong response. The right response is to be bold and confident. I know the one who does. I know where to find them. Together we can find them. Amen? Isn't that good? So questions are welcome. We need to be confident about answers, but we don't need to, uh, we do not need to be uh, uh, arrogant or unwelcoming to questions. Now, the problem is, when you answer people's questions, you find out if they really wanted answers. Are you with me? And see, sometimes people get offended because what they want is they want you to be as confused as they are. Because if you're not as confused as they are, that means there might be answers out there and they don't really want the answers. They just are comfortable with the questions. Now, listen, what I'm talking to you about is witnessing. So if this isn't clicking, I would say it might be because we're not out there really engaging our culture and our neighbors and we're just not really realizing that people have questions and, and, and these kind of things. Now, here's the deal. The, the Bible may not answer all your questions, but it answers all the questions that are necessary. Okay? The Bible answers, does not answer all the questions you have about heaven. It will not answer all the questions you have about hell. But here's my point. It will answer the questions that God deems necessary. And he is wise. And he knows what ones those are. Now listen to this. The shift from biblical authority to personal preferences to popular trends and to political correctness will not be felt in your generation. As you make that shift, it will not really change. You will probably make that shift in your heart and still go to church. Still give to missions and still do all the things you've been taught to do. Where it will be felt is in your children and your children's children. This is why in 2 Timothy verse one, chapter 1, verse 4, Timothy, uh, Paul says to Timothy, Listen, I want to call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which first dwelt in your grandmother and your mother Lois, and which I am persuaded dwells in you. What he's trying to say to Timothy is, Look, it's important down to what the first generation believes, it spills over to the second and the third. So while we can live with confusion, our kids cannot. And our grandkids will not, and they will drift away. So these, these things are important to be grounded in the Word. So what's that? Hell, yes it matters. Belief and obedience to the Bible hangs in the balance. Number two. Genuine love for God and others hang in the balance. Hell, yes it matters, because genuine love for God and others hangs in the balance. Turn your Bibles to Romans 13.10. Romans 13.10. And notice what this verse says. Romans 13.10. Who can read that for us? Romans 13.10. Rick, go ahead. Love does no harm to its neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Okay, love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Let me show you just real quickly what that is saying. First of all, is that love for God and love to others is connected. 
Are we good on that? First commandment, second commandment. Also, it shows us that love and the law are connected. So point one and point two are connected. Listen, we can obey the truth and be loving to others. There is not, you don't have to choose between those. In fact, obeying the truth shows love for God and others. If I want to love God and others, I need to obey the truth. Now, let's, let's step back from that. Here's what the world says. People who share the message that Jesus is the only way to God and that hell is real are arrogant and not loving of others. Would you agree? Would you agree that the world basically defines love as not being exclusive but being inclusive? And if you say there's one way and you know the one way and the one way is your way, you know, I don't care whether God says it. You're saying one way is the way, and you know it, that you're arrogant and not loving of others. Do you think that's the world? Do you think that's increasing in our culture? Do you think that's going to become law? That tolerance, acceptance, that that's going to become law in our nation? Oh, you better believe it. We're moving that way. Okay, that's what the world says. You're not loving. Now, this is what the Bible says. Share the message that Jesus is the only way to God and that hell is real. Share it with humility and you are really, truly loving others. Do you see the disconnect? One says, do that and you're not loving. The other says, do it with humility and you are showing the love of God and you're fulfilling the law. Now... This is something new that I learned. The Bible says this, To hinder the true gospel from going to all people not only displeases God, but it is a hostile act against the best interests of humanity. Where's that in the Bible? Check out 1 Thessalonians 2. Turn your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians 2, 14 through 16. I'd never seen this verse. I mean, I've read it. I've read it many times. I've read Thessalonians many times. But I want you to turn in your Bibles to this verse. And I want you to show that it turns the world's wisdom on its head. The world wisdom would be this. Fundamental, Bible-believing, gospel-preaching Christians are a threat to world peace. Now, I'm just saying that's, that's what... It, they are a threat to humanity. They are divisive. They are, they are excluding people who have freely chosen their lifestyles, whose DNA has made them the way they are. It's not a sin issue. It's a science issue. And they are divisive to humanity. But notice what Paul says in verse 14. He's speaking to this, again, this young church. For you became imitators, brothers and sisters, of God's churches in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. Why? Because you too suffered the same things from your own countrymen. You've been persecuted for the gospel. As they, in fact, did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and persecuted us severely. Now, You've got faithful preachers, faithful believers, and faithful churches who are suffering intense persecution. Now, here's Paul's estimate under the authority of the Holy Spirit. They are displeasing to God, but notice the second part, and are opposed. Some translations say hostile. Some say working against. They are opposed to all people. Why are they opposed to all people? Verse 16. Because they hinder us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. 
Thus, they constantly fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them completely. Do you see what he's saying there? This is what's interesting. You almost can't discuss this issue in the Scriptures without seeing hell, wrath, and judgment being a part of it. These things are all interconnected. But look at what he's saying. He's saying this, that anyone who hinders the gospel from being spread to those who have never heard, anyone who would discourage us from thinking the gospel should get to all nations and all peoples, they not only displease God, but they oppose all of humanity. They oppose what is in the best interests of humanity. So listen, what he's saying is this. Sharing the gospel with those who have never heard in the darkest parts of Africa to the biggest cities of, the, uh, uh, of Africa or Asia is an issue that pleases God and is in the best interest of people. So don't let anyone intimidate you into thinking that if you share the exclusive gospel that somehow you're an arrogant bigot who is unloving. Now, you may still be arrogant. You may actually be a bigot, and you may be unloving, but it's not because of what you're sharing. It's because we haven't had the fruit of the Spirit control us in the sharing. Okay, so that's, that's a legitimate thing, but that's not what the world's saying. All right, does that make sense? So what hangs in the balance? Genuine love for God and others. Hell, yes, it matters. Because, number three, the salvation of people in other religions hang in the balance. The salvation of people in other religions hang in the balance. I'm not going to spend a lot of time here. We're going to do a whole lesson on this. But I want to say this. Natural revelation does not save anyone. Listen, looking up at the sky and thinking there must be a creator does not get you to heaven. And the proof of that is in Romans chapter 1. Listen to what Paul says. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth. They don't glory in the truth. They suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Why? Because what may be known of God is manifest in them. For God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Here's the point. People who have never heard of Christ are still going to hell because what they know of God, they suppress and they replace the knowledge of a creator with the worship of of creation, a tree, a rock, an ancestor. See, actually, all that worship that unbelievers do, pagan religions, world religions, is not proof that they're seeking God. What that proves is that they know there is a God and they've rejected Him and they are now serving creation. So rather than being ignorant, they're informed. Rather than being sincere, they have turned their backs on the one true God. And so what's needed is special revelation from God in His Word as the only means. Think about Romans 10.17 for a minute. You know what 10, Romans 10.17 says? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by looking at the stars. Faith comes by seeing Niagara Falls in all its glory. Faith comes by sincerely worshiping a rock with your most purest motives. No. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by what? 
By the Word of God. Okay, so there's all sorts of verses I've given you there about the... Well, let me just read a couple. 1 Timothy 2.5, For there is one God, not many, one mediator, not many, between God and man, all of humanity, and it's the man Christ Jesus. Think about that verse. What does that verse say? That verse says that the salvation of all peoples hangs in the balance of hearing about one man, the Lord Jesus Christ. All right? There's more there that we could... Well, just John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Any exceptions in that verse? No exceptions. No exceptions. So what hangs in the balance is the salvation of other people and other religions. Number four, hell? Yes, it matters. The strengthening of missionaries hangs in the balance. The strengthening of missionaries. Turn your Bibles to Romans 15. Romans 15, 20 through 21. Romans 15, 20 through 21. Here's the Apostle Paul at the end of Romans, and here's what he says his purpose in life as a missionary is. So I've made it my aim to preach the gospel, not where Christ is named, lest I should build on another man's foundation. But as it is written, to whom... He was not announced, they shall see. And those who have not heard, they shall understand. So what's his point? His goal is to preach to the unreached. His goal is to preach to those who have never heard. Now, teaching people, teaching that people can be saved without hearing the gospel rips the heart out of missionaries. Teaching that people can be saved without hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ rips the heart out of missionaries and it rips the heart out of your motivation for missions. Can you see that? Let's, let's send a note to uh, Brother Ivy saying the open door that you see in North Korea is really not that important. After all, they don't need to hear about Jesus. They will have a second chance after they die. They don't really need to hear about Jesus because there's many paths to God. Can you imagine at the end of October, as our missionary guests are about to come, one of them will be Keith Gandy. Can you imagine going up to Keith Gandy during our world outreach and telling him that all roads lead to God? And, and hey, be warmed and filled. Go get him in Germany. You know, go live in the house with little heat and, and knock your head up against postmodernism. But really understand this. All roads lead to God. Can you imagine going to Tom Gritz as he comes and tell him that a lifetime of sharing the gospel in England, well, that's commendable, but it's really not necessary because everyone will be saved in the end. Can you imagine saying that to him? Can you imagine that telling these missionaries that hell's really not that bad because everyone will just be annihilated and they, they won't suffer torment for eternity? Don't get too worked up, missionary. It's okay. It'll be over in the end. Can you imagine telling David Freeman in Nepal that Hinduism is just another way to God? Can you imagine telling Ronnie Smith and Richard Smith, two of our missionaries that will be here from Mexico, that all Catholics are going to heaven because, after all, all roads lead to God? Well, answer me. Can you imagine that? No. What would that do? What would that do to them? 
What would it do to you, Kirk? What's the point? What's the point? What would it do to you if you were on deputation and you're dedicating your life, Nancy, to this? What would that do to you? It would frustrate me. What do you think they would think of us as a gospel-believing church and a missions-minded church? That we're not, that we don't have a clue. Exactly. But listen, here's what we can think. We can think these things, still give to faith promise, still think highly of these people and not realize that we're ripping the heart out of what their motivation is. Now, that wouldn't be a big argument unless the Bible said (laughs) it's important. And the Bible has said it. Okay. So, hell, yes, it matters. It strengthens missionaries. The strengthening of missionaries hangs in the balance. What about number five? Persevering in our own salvation hangs in the balance. Tell you what, we're going to stop right there because I want to give due diligence to these uh, uh, next three purposes, and they're a little, uh, they're a little deeper and a little different. But let me let me chew. On, I want you to chew on that one. Let me give you this to chew on. The irony of coming up with other ways for other people to be saved is that it has a direct effect on my salvation. You say, wait a minute. I thought we believe in eternal security. I thought once I've accepted Jesus, I, I, um, I'm secure. Well, yeah, there, there's a sense in, in, in eternal security. But does eternal security give us the right to believe anything we want about God, the Bible, and salvation? Does eternal security give us the right to live any old way we want? See, here's the thing. If we're going to play with the gospel out there and say, you know, there's other ways for other people who aren't as advantaged as I am to where we can turn on the gospel anywhere, anytime. It's not which Bible we're going to take. You know, it's not whether we're going to take the Bible to church. It's which Bible we're going to take, which color, so it matches my outfit or something, or which translation. But here's the reality. The reality is this. If we tinker with the gospel out there, every change we make out there changes the gospel that we believe back here. And when we start playing and changing the gospel that we believe right here, then we are tinkering and changing the hope of our own salvation. And that's why this matters. It does matter. And here's the good news, because I don't want anybody leaving here today not knowing clearly that there is only one way. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by Him. Have you received Jesus Christ as your Savior? Have you received this one hope of salvation? Do you know for sure that not based on anything you have ever said or done is your salvation. It's totally based on what Christ has done, the life He lived, the death that He suffered, the blood He shed, the resurrection from death and sin that He experienced, and He's reigning in heaven, willing to give this a free gift to anyone on this planet. So I hope you've received that message. If you haven't, you can receive it this morning by simply saying, Lord, I'm a sinner. And you're the only Savior. You're the only way. I take you. I turn from my sin. I take you as my Savior. And now I'm going to trust you, follow you, and rejoice in you forevermore. 
looking towards heaven, knowing I've escaped hell, and I'm going to share the good news with it. It's that simple. It's really that simple. All right? So we'll complete this next week. Look at the other three reasons. And uh, I hope this has encouraged you. I hope it's strengthened you because it really does matter. Let's pray. Father, we come and uh, we're humbled that in your grace, when we were just as ignorant, confused, blind, skeptical, seeking, rebelling, sinning, shaking our fist in your face, during all that, you loved us. And you sent someone, you sent someone to share the only way to salvation. Something we never would have come up with on our own if we had not heard it from you, from your messenger, from your words. And so, Lord, we come very humbled, very, very humbled, knowing that we are not saved by anything we have done except to turn from our sins, receive what you have done, We gave you our sin. You gave us your righteousness. And now we're secure in you. But Lord, we need to share that message with everyone. And we need to share it with the people you're bringing into our path at work, at school, in our neighborhood. Lord, even just any time, we need to be alert to the possibility that we may be talking to someone who may enter into eternity, a Christless, suffering, conscious, eternal torment away from the presence of God. Lord, burden us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.